beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, a very important part of military security is conducting regular threat analysis. Living in Canada, we easily take this for granted. Other nations would hesitate to attack us militarily because, we, because they know that the United States would see that as a threat against their own sovereignty. Since the United States is one of the superpowers of this world, we in Canada are relatively secure. But just imagine, beloved, living in a country like Israel, where the other countries around you have openly stated that they would like to see you annihilated. Or imagine living in South Korea and having a militarized zone to the north with a constant threat of invasion from an unstable dictatorship. In many places in this world, military professionals need to conduct regular threat analysis in order to protect their nation. They need to review the capabilities and the intentions of those who might seek to do them harm. They need to imagine how their enemies might attack them so that they're prepared to defend themselves against such attacks. If intelligence officials miss or ignore key bits of information, this could be disastrous for the security of the nation. By stealth or with overwhelming force, the enemy might attack and defeat you, taking over your country, depriving your people of freedom and life. Oh, beloved, the same applies spiritually. The Christian life has rightly been compared to spiritual warfare. That's why the Bible urges us to fight the good fight of the faith and to stand firm in the faith. To do this, we also need to do a threat analysis. We need to know who our enemies are and how they attack us. We need to prepare ourselves so that we can withstand their attacks. We need to ensure that our defenses are ready so that when we're attacked, we can stand strong and not succumb to the enemy's attack. Our text this morning teaches us about the spiritual battle each one of us is involved in. It makes clear that a battle is being waged for our souls and that we're facing powerful enemies. In order to fight the good fight of the faith, we need to arm ourselves. Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God. For it's only if we're strong in the Lord that we'll be able to withstand the attacks of the devil. By means of our text, I'd like to introduce our home visit theme this year, the whole armor of God. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. Stand strong in the Lord in the midst of your spiritual battle. We'll see why we are to stand strong in the Lord and how we are to stand strong in the Lord. As Canadians, we are not very concerned about our military security. As a member of NATO, in 2014, Canada pledged to spend 2% of its gross domestic product on defense. But in the last few years, it has only spent 1.3% of GDP on its military. The simple reason for this is that with the United States next door, we feel relatively secure. When's the last time that you have actively thought about potential threats 
to Canada's sovereignty. It's not something we give much priority to in our lives. And the same often applies spiritually. As Christians, we often seem to believe that life on this earth is meant to be easy. We know that God is good. We trust in his providential care over our lives. Materially, we experience many of the blessings of the Lord. When you're living a comfortable life, it's hard to conduct a regular threat analysis. Good times can lull us to sleep. They make us forget about how God has put enmity between Satan and his offspring and the woman and her offspring. Unless we pay attention to the Bible's teaching, it's easy to forget that the Christian life is not a picnic, but a battle, a struggle against a powerful enemy. Our text begins with Paul encouraging us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and telling us to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Why does Paul provide this instruction? Why do we need to be strong? Why do we need to put on armor? Paul answers these questions in verse 12 of our text. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We need to be strong in the Lord and to put on the full armor of God. Why? Because we're engaged in a spiritual battle. We're fighting a war. Not with guns and airplanes and missiles. Because our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not other people. Our warfare is against spiritual enemies against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is against Satan and all his evil spirits. We're often oblivious to the spiritual warfare going on all around us. We forget that a war is being fought over our souls and over the souls of all those who live on this earth. Now, in many situations, Satan does not need to fight very hard. There are many whose minds are darkened, who live apart from God in sinful blindness. But we can be sure, Satan is hard at work in the church, opposing Christ's work in us by his word and spirit. He wants to capture as many souls as he can, before Christ returns on the clouds of heaven. We tend to think that Satan and his evil forces are only very occasionally encountered, and that their influence on believing Christians is minimal. But the Bible teaches differently. Job 1 and 2 make it clear that Satan went roaming through the earth, going back and forth in it. He received permission from God to attack Job very severely. Satan took away all Job's possessions. He robbed him of his children. He turned his wife and friends against him. 
He afflicted him with a terrible disease. His purpose was to cause Job to curse God, to turn him away from the service of the Lord. The fact that we're involved in a spiritual battle is clear. From the many times, the Bible warns against Satan's attacks. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. James 4 verse 7 tells us, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Ephesians 4.27 warns us not to give the devil a foothold by allowing anger to dwell in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 11 warns us not to be deceived by the serpent's cunning. Makes it clear that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That his spirits disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. 1 Timothy 4 warns that some will abandon the faith and follow deceitful spirits in the teaching of demons. In Revelation 2, verse 10, Christ says to the persecuted church of Smyrna, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 12 speaks about Christ's victory over Satan but how he has been hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. Verse 12 cautions us, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Satan and his evil spirits work in different ways, in different cultures. Our missionaries in Papua New Guinea are confronted by witch doctors and pagan superstitions. In that culture, Satan holds many captive through fear of what he might do to them if they don't appease the native gods. In many Muslim countries and various dictatorships, Satan uses outright persecution to try to turn people away from the Christian faith. Yet Satan uses a different approach in our culture. He tries to seduce us with the pleasures that this world has to offer. He works hard to conform our thinking to the ways of our culture around us. Satan knows that how we behave is most often a result of how we think and feel of the desires that live within us. His attacks are directed against our hearts, our minds, our wills. For he can get, if he can get control of what lives in us, then he also gains dominion over what we say and do. So by controlling our thinking, our emotions, our desires, Satan tries to gain mastery over us. Satan influences us daily by having a go at our minds. The reason Paul speaks about mind renewal in Romans 12 verse 2 is because Satan so easily builds strongholds in our minds. He uses much of the music of our age to plant within us spirits of rebellion, of lust, of the desire for control. TV ads and programs teach us you can buy happiness by buying the products displayed 
before our eyes. They normalize sexual immorality and alcohol and drug abuse, taking away many of the taboos that used to exist in our society. Satan uses our emotions. He sells the message that everyone has the right to a little happiness on this earth. We know that true joy comes from being in the right relationship with God, from living in close communion with Him. But sometimes we want more. We want a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and it doesn't seem to us like there's anyone attractive in the church. So we start looking elsewhere, even among those who do not share our faith. We think that we can always evangelize to someone we're in love with, and that for sure they'll become a Christian. Forget God's warning not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Satan also uses our will. The Bible talks about the spirit being willing, but the flesh being weak. Satan uses every trick he can to make our will subject to the flesh instead of the other way around. If we're subject to the lordship of Christ, if we're led by the spirit of God, we will be in control of our fleshly desires. But too often we lack self-control. We don't crucify the flesh as we're called to do. Simple reason is that Satan at times gets control over our desires. In certain areas of life where he is Lord and Master. And so in our spiritual warfare, the key question we need to address is, why am I attracted to the ways of this world? Why do I do things that I know are wrong? Often our sinful behavior is motivated by some kind of lack, by a deficit within us, because we don't feel respected or loved or connected. We try to fill the emptiness inside with excitement, with stimulation from the outside. In our search for fulfillment in life, we're susceptible to Satan's attempts to lead us astray. That's why we need to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It brings us to our second point, how we are to stand strong in the Lord. In our text, Paul encourages us to stand strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. We can't fight this spiritual battle with our own human strength or with carnal or earthly weapons. It's not by being strong or self-disciplined or determined that we can withstand Satan's attacks. We're engaged in spiritual warfare to engage in the battle. We need to be strong in the Lord. If you are not in Christ by faith, you're still being held captive by the power of the devil and his forces. In order to fight against the schemes of the devil, you must first be redeemed by Christ and brought into the kingdom of God. Only those who are reconciled to God through Christ can wear the spiritual armor Paul speaks about in our text. Only those who are united with Christ will want to put on the armor of God. 
Simply put, you need to be a Christian in order to put on the armor of God. Paul encourages us to put on the whole armor of God so we can stand firm in our spiritual battle. When people read through Paul's description of the armor of Christian soldiers to put on, many think it correlates to the armor a Roman soldier would have worn in those days. But that's a wrong assumption. Each of the pieces of armor mentioned in our text has a rich background in the Old Testament, where they describe the armor God puts on when he comes to rescue his people. Christ wore this divine armor in his battle with the evil one. And we as Christians are encouraged to do the same. In our text, Paul encourages us to put on Christ, that we may stand strong in our spiritual warfare. The belt of truth belongs to Jesus, who said, I am the truth. Jesus always lived and spoke the truth. He came into a world of lies to deliver his people that we might be lovers of the truth. Many of Satan's attack against us are attacks on the truth and on the trustworthiness of God's word. Yet God has given us his word of truth to defend us against Satan's attacks. Beloved, we need to know what God's word says, to believe it and live by it. That is foundational in our fight against sin and the devil. In Isaiah 59, the prophet laments that there was no one to intercede, to bring justice and salvation for his people. And then he says this about God. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Isaiah speaks about, but with their root problem, sin. God's people have no righteousness of their own. Our best works, says Isaiah, are as filthy rags in God's sight. But the Lord would come as our Redeemer to bring us salvation. The breastplate of righteousness that we are to put on is the righteousness of Christ. It is knowing that Christ has died on the cross to pay for all our sins. So easily we lose sight of who we are in Christ. At times we act as if we have earned our own righteousness before God through our good works. At times we despair because of sins and shortcomings in our lives. Beloved, we need to see ourselves as dearly loved children of our Father in heaven. Knowing our identity as God's redeemed and renewed children helps us to live thankful and joyous lives in his service. When Paul speaks about putting on shoes for your feet, he relates this to Isaiah 52, verse 7. There the prophet speaks the famous words, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Throughout his ministry, Jesus preached a message of good news 
to hell-deserving sinners. He came proclaiming a message of peace, but how we are reconciled to God through him. And we, beloved, are to do the same, to share the gospel of peace with unbelievers, to always be ready to give a defense of the hope that lives in us. Next, Paul encourages us to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In the Old Testament, God is repeatedly described as our shield. Genesis 15, verse 1, the Lord tells Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. It's our faith in God that serves as a shield when we come under the attacks of Satan. See, beloved, it's our faith worked in us by the Holy Spirit that defends us against many of Satan's attacks. When Satan attacks, he often does so by lying to us. He promises satisfaction, the gratification of our desires, if only we give in to his temptations. But we know that the satisfaction is short-lived, that it brings with it guilt and shame and unhappiness. The way to stand strong against temptations is to hold on to God's rich promises. It's to trust that no matter what struggles we may be facing in our lives, God is good and he will bless us. Faith in God is a powerful defense against Satan's attacks. Next, Paul tells us to put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the head, one of the most vulnerable parts of the body. An injury to our head is likely to be fatal. And so Paul exhorts us to hold on with confidence to the fact that Jesus Christ has saved us from our sins. If we were still under condemnation, without God and without Christ, we would not have the courage to enter into this conflict. It's because we are partakers of Christ and of all his benefits, that we have confidence to stand firm in our spiritual battle. Paul also commands us to take hold of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's with the Word of God that the Lord Jesus defended himself against all Satan's attacks. He used God's Word to defend himself from the threefold temptation of Satan in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. In Jesus' disputes with Israel's religious leaders, he constantly appealed to the word of God, proving that his authority came from God. In Jesus' deepest struggles, he prayed the Psalms back to God. In the same way, the Holy Spirit equips us to fight against Satan's attacks by arming us with God's word. God's word is the source of our knowledge of the truth, of our righteousness in Christ, of our assurance of the gospel of peace, of our faith in God, of our salvation. It's from God's word that we find peace when our lives are upside down, 
that we find comfort in the midst of trials, that we learn to live in the joy of our faith. It's from God's word that we derive hope for the future. God's word also teaches us the difference between right and wrong, provides us all we need to know in order to live thankful lives to God's glory. Beloved, you cannot stand strong in the Lord in your spiritual battle. If the Bible is not an open book in your life, we need to arm ourselves with the word of God by reading it and studying it and meditating on it. We need to hear the preaching of the gospel each Sunday to equip us for another week of kingdom service. The Spirit uses the Bible to address our life circumstances, at times to give us comfort and assurance, at times to provide us with guidance and direction, at times to warn us or to call us to repentance. The Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word never returns to Him empty, He uses it for salvation and judgment to draw us to him or to push us away from him. Finally, in our text, Paul calls us to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's very appropriate that Paul concludes his instruction on putting on the armor of God with a call to prayer. Jesus himself was a man of prayer. During his earthly ministry, he depended on God for strength to accomplish his Father's will. In the same way, we cannot stand firm in our spiritual warfare without prayer. Remember, beloved, how Paul began our text by encouraging us to be strong in the Lord, in his mighty power, by praying, that we acknowledge we're not in control, God is. It's by praying that we learn to trust and depend on the Lord, not on ourselves. Prayer deepens our communion with the Lord. It strengthens our bond with him. Beloved, do you pray? Do you really pray? not just for meals around the dinner table, but you come before God in personal prayer, thanking him for his blessings and beseeching him for all you need? Do you talk to God about your struggles? Do you lay your needs before the throne of grace? Do you ask him to help you in your struggle against sin and temptation? Notice that we're not commanded to pray just for ourselves. Paul commands us to always keep praying for all the saints. If you're concerned about the direction of someone's life, then pray for him or her. If you fear that a brother or sister in Christ may be especially vulnerable to Satan's attacks, pray for that person. Parents, pray for your children. Young people, pray for your siblings and your friends. When you're regularly praying for someone, your heart is open for that person. God will give you opportunities to stand next to him or her 
in our spiritual warfare. Paul also tells the Ephesians to pray for him. He requests the prayers of God's people so that as ambassador of Christ, he may boldly proclaim the gospel of Christ. And beloved, that's something that you should also do. Pray for your pastor. That every week again he may do his work faithfully. Pray for him that he may preach the word of God boldly. For the word of God is the sword of the spirit. Through the word of God that we're defended against the attacks of Satan. We began by speaking about how very important, how a very important part of military security is conducting a regular threat analysis. In our spiritual warfare, we face a strong and a cunning enemy. Satan constantly prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. With great cunning, he tries to tear down and destroy God's people and Christ's church. Our comfort, beloved, is Christ has already won the victory. He defeated Satan once and for all with his death on the cross. Satan may be a roaring lion, but he's a lion on a leash. Christ is Lord and King of this world and of our lives. And Satan cannot do anything without Christ's consent. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says that God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let us continue to fight the good fight of the faith. Let us put on the full armor of God that we may be able to stand against the devil's schemes. For it's in this way that we also share the blessings the Lord has in store for all those who are in him. James 1 verse 2 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has withstood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen.